This is Behind the Curtain at LA Opera. I'm your host, Brian Lauritsen. On this edition of the podcast, I'm joined by LA Opera music director James Conlon, who is the conductor for the run of Verdi's Nabucco, final performance on November 19th. The production stars Placido Domingo in the title role from this early Verdi opera. This was Verdi at uh, age 28. This was his third opera. And I love in your essay on LAopera.com, you talk about this as being Verdi's Rite of Spring or Verdi's Flying Dutchman. Can you talk about what you mean when you say that? Because it's the great leap forward uh, over the last two. Now, it is not revolutionary the way those two works were. Uh, And he was not a revolutionary. He was an evolutionary. Uh, He had no essential problem with the tradition that he inherited from Rossini, I mean, largely from Rossini, and secondarily from Donizetti and Bellini. He respected the tradition, and he thought it was his job to write operas like that. Only his own dramatic genius, and musical genius as well, but dramatic more than anything else, right away brushed up against the demands of, those, of that tradition. He did it, but right away you can say, no, no, he, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this here because I need it there. In other words, he, he was willing from the beginning to step out and serve the drama, and that simply became stronger and stronger and stronger. He, from the beginning, would not accept the ideas, the idea that the singer was in command, that the singer would choose how to ornament. Uh, I mean, he was very insistent from the very beginning. And so he, he writes already what he wants, and very strong-minded, of course. So uh, Nabucco is a sudden blast of inspiration. You see already the great humanity. It's already there, but you see also action, 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 excitement, and just keeps coming at you. There are not too many lulls in, in, in that. So it's a youthful work, but it's already a work of genius. Mm-hmm. We see the Verdi to come in this, or do we not? We do. Yeah. Absolutely, we do. Yeah. We see certain themes, dramatic themes. We see the plight of the tragic father. This will go through his operas all the way to the, almost, almost to the end. Uh, now, by this time, he had already lost his wife and his two infant children. Some amount of psychoanalyzing, people like to do that, whether or not it's uh, certainly, it's a legitimate viewpoint, uh, but he identifies with the father even when the the father is evil to some degree, which Nabucco is. On the other hand, Nabucco repents. We have a story of you know of enlightenment of a tyrant, but we have a character like King Lear, and King Lear was the was the Shakespeare play that obsessed him all of his life that he wanted to write, and unfortunately, he never did. Now, I actually don't know if he had read King Lear already mm-hmm. at this point. But you have an interesting situation where you have a father with a, a good and loving relationship with a good and loving daughter, and you have a, uh, a conflictual relationship with a daughter who is ambitious and quite evil herself. 
in the two characters, the good daughter is going to become a sort of a prototype for the sort of standard in love, good, sympathetic soprano who's usually going to be the victim of circumstances in love. Now, she's a secondary character, but the main character is another type. And this is the powerful, ambitious, dominating period. And that Abigaile, that character, is going to be revisited shortly thereafter in the form of Lady Macbeth. So we get two very interesting types mm -hmm. there, right there. His extensive use of the chorus is uh, almost unique. It, that was not something that he was going to follow uh, in the sense that he makes the chorus almost like a protagonist. But there are other operas, Macbeth, where the chorus is a, is a protagonist. Uh, of course, Aida, he knows certainly how to handle big choral masses, but he rarely puts them as a principal character. They are a principal character in, in, in Nabucco. Mm -hmm. You talk about uh, the relationship between a, a father and a son, the strained relationship being... Or, or daughter. Or daughter, true, yeah. yes. Yeah. But he also, uh, Verdi also um, rarely shows us the relationship between mother and child. Why is that? We don't know. The mother is significantly absent from most of Verdi's operas. I mean, the most important famous mother is Azucena in Il Trovatore because she is the protagonist. You know, originally he wanted to call the opera La Gitana, the, the, the gypsy woman. Uh, they changed that. But the fact is, she is the central character. You talk about the importance of the chorus and uh, that the chorus is is a character um, very much so in this opera. And I think if, you know, if audiences know any moment of this opera or if they don't know very much of this opera, the, they know this one moment, this very famous chorus, Va Pensiero, um, and what it meant in in its time. Um, can you talk a little bit about that moment in the opera and, and what Verdi was doing with that chorus? Yes, Va Pensiero is a loose translation of Psalm 137, and it is the lament of the Hebrews sung on the banks of the Euphrates River, the lament and the nostalgia and of their homeland, in other words, wanting to go back. They, this is the period of the Babylonian captivity, and so they sing this lament. It was seen gradually and fairly rapidly as speaking to the soul of the Italians who were not yet a nation and who were constantly under the domination of other nations, Austria, France, the Papal States, Spain, and the South. Italy had a history of foreign domination. And this is exactly the period where the movement to unify the, nation, unify the peninsula and make it become a nation uh, be, really takes root. Uh, Giuseppe Mazzini is the great patriot and thinker. Verdi became very enamored of him and his thinking, and Verdi became um, a follower and a significant figure in that. Uh, some of it's been mythologized, that mm -hmm. as if the entire audience understood that right away, that it was, uh, that's, that was back engineered. But there's no question that Va Pensiero became identified with the Risorgimento, that's the the, the word that's used for the, the movement to rise again and to unite the Italian city-states as one country. And it grew and it grew and it grew. So that when you say at the time it was 
it is so to, till today. There is not, as I like to say, there's not a four-year-old or a grandmother in Italy who doesn't know Va Pensiero and can't sing it. It is like a national anthem. It does not have an official status. Much more importantly, has an emotional and cultural status mm -hmm. which is beyond politics. Mm -hmm. So it is part of the core of the Italian people. And Verdi became central, as time went on, to the unification process and to the early republic. He was, uh, he was made a senator. He didn't really want to, but he was made a senator. He was viewed as an important patriot, a patriot whose music was binding the new nation together with the people. And I think, as you know, his name became an acronym, Viva Verdi, uh, Verdi being Vittorio Emanuele Re d'Italia. Victor Emmanuel was to become the first king, and so Verdi's name became an acronym, again, Victor Emmanuel, re, king d'Italia of, of Italy. Viva Verdi became uh, a slogan, and of course, he was associated, obviously it was his name, so he became associated with that. How active was he in the political landscape? You say he became a senator but didn't really want to. His music was inspiring the people, his name being this acronym. Did he encourage this? Did he speak about this much? Well, when I say he didn't want to, he, he was not, he, he did not want to be involved in politics. He did not want to be involved in government. But he was so devoted to Mazzini and Mazzini's goals that he accepted to become a senator at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Garibaldi did a lot of the fighting that was done elsewhere, but Mazzini was the thinking head of the Risorgimento, and Verdi was a follower. And he was to write several more operas that had Risorgimento themes, uh, great choruses that were somehow or other patriotic. They were in various guises, in Gio uh, Giovanna d'Arco, which is Joan of Arc, um, in the First Crusade of the Lombardi. Uh, that's another one. Even Macbeth has a type of Risorgimento chorus, the refugees, the Scottish refugees. So um, he'll come back to that in his big opera, which is the Battle of Legnano. That's a real patriotic opera and very bold. And he wrote it in 1849, right after 1848, where it was looking like Italy was really going to stand on its feet then. It didn't quite happen yet. Uh, it waited until 1860 and 1861. But Verdi was very involved in that. But as soon as he could get out of the political arena, he did. He went, I mean, he was not interested in pursuing that. Mm -hmm. But the art on political themes, I mean, we have these conversations even today about, oh, you know, I don't want politics mixed in with my music. I just want to, you know, go hear a nice opera and, or go hear a nice symphony or string quartet and not have to think about, you know, all these other issues. But, you know, I think if, if we spoke with composers <laughs> and even the living composers today, it's, it's, well, you know, this is all what it means to be human. Well, of course, but as a generality, the 19th century was not yet the place where people wrote about politics, mm -hmm. or the 18th century. Now, that's probably coming out of the age when all of the patrons and sponsors were the dukes, the, the kings, the queens, you know, the court. But very gradually, um, as, you know, the French Revolution and the gradual revolutionary character to the 19th century and an emerging bourgeoisie, it became... It, it, it became more present, but it's still, it was always about love. That, that seemed to be, it was always a love story on some level. And even when Verdi used patriotic or political scenery 
it was still the center was the human the human conflicts the love conflicts the familial conflicts um, sometimes the love across races now that's already present in Nabucco between the Assyrian daughter and the Hebrew tenor and she's that's going to come back in Aida in a big way this one's going to end more happily uh, but politics as it became in the 20th century it's not yet there however that said Verdi <clears throat> almost uniquely was willing to take a subject that was basically political and diminish the love story to small, if nothing. Macbeth, as is of course the great issue. Now he didn't create the he didn't create the drama of Macbeth, but he so admired it and he so much wanted to translate that into an Italian opera that he res he respected that and it is essentially political opera. And then when you get later, you get to don things like Don Carlo, which is a tremendously political, uh, the idealism of Schiller, the uh, conflict between the domination of the Spanish throne as well as the Roman Catholic Church with the Inquisition, he gets very political. So he was he not more than waded into that water. He went waist deep into that water when he needed to. Mm -hmm. You write about how great geniuses have a way of of capturing what's in the minds of the public and creating art that connects to their audience. How does Verdi do that with this with this piece? Is it is it exclusively in this sort of realm or is it deeper than that? Well, I think for, first of all the, the sometimes the great geniuses are so instinctive that they may not even be articulating it. And Wagner instinctively understood the the human heart in a way that is un, almost unique in in Western culture, mm -hmm. uh, Verdi too, in a very, very different way. They had very different languages, and I don't mean just Italian and German. They had very different musical languages and different goals. Uh, but they both, their ability to either to empathize or at least to understand and to portray just about any human emotion is part of the monumental contribution that they both made both of these great men who were born in 1813, a, a, a few months apart. So they were able to do that. Verdi was able to do that. It was intellectual, but it was, it, more importantly, it was emotional. He could speak directly and speaks today directly to our emotions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I want to speak uh, a little bit about Placido Domingo um, as well. A great um, subject. <laughs> in this role, and then there's also a, a big 50th anniversary celebration concert coming up that you're deeply involved in. What is left to say about the incredible, voracious creativity and performance of literally dozens upon dozens upon dozens of, of roles and new roles this uh, well into his career? Well, he's a, he's a phenomenon, there, and he's sui generis. There is nobody like him. He has, first of all, had nine lives as a singer. Most people if they're even alive at this point, had given up, or their voices had given up decades before, that he is able to sing at all is already exceptional, but that he can sing the way he sings and with the energy and with the all of the genius and character that he had is now in this incredible stage where he's got, he's got all of the equipment, technique, experience, Experience of a long, long life, and he still physically has the voice and the ability to portray all that. And he's very, very smart about how he uses it, 
I think he's fascinated to have a whole new repertory. <laughs> and you know, that's all, that in itself is admirable. That here's a man who doesn't need to do anything, but he keeps doing it, mm -hmm. and people keep loving it. And the, so he is absolutely unique in our world. There are very few, we look back over history, there are very few singers who were able to do even half of what he has done and to count the fact that he also conducts and he also runs an opera company or two. <laughs> and he's a figure who is larger than life. And yet he is so personal and so personable and takes the care to be so kind and friendly with everybody that that just adds another dimension mm -hmm. to this already monumental artist. Mm -hmm. Your partnership um, with him here at Los Angeles Opera has uh, yielded just some uh, amazing performances. Um, and to, to celebrate the 50th anniversary um, of his performances here in Los Angeles must be uh, something that you're looking forward to as well. Well, I ha already have one of these celebrations behind me. You know, on his 70th birthday in Madrid, I conducted that concert with, I mean, hit parade of singers and we've got a pretty good hit parade ourselves coming up this in, in the next two weeks it's a great thrill and it's a lot of fun as well mm -hmm. and then just to wrap up Nabucco for someone who maybe knows the chorus or for someone who perhaps is is kind of familiar with with this early work from Verdi what would you tell them to really look out for to pay attention to uh, if this is their first time seeing and hearing this opera? Well, I'm happy to say it's the first time for many, many people because when I give my pre-performance, and one thing I would say is to those of you who have never been to a pre-performance talk, please come because I think you may be interested. But I always ask, my first question is how many of you are seeing Nabucco for the first time? And the vast majority put their hands up and that makes me thrilled. And if I can tell you that they're screaming and applauding right after the overture and right through the whole evening means that it's speaking right away to people that don't know it, have never seen it, but they come in there and it's very, you can't, you can't resist its infectious energy and its powerful emotions that it evokes. And so that's what awaits you if you come and I hope you will. James Conlon is the music director of Los Angeles Opera. The final performance of Giuseppe Verdi's Nabucco takes place Sunday, November 19th at 2 p.m. The Placido Domingo 50th anniversary concert takes place on Friday, November 17th at 7.30. Both performances at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. For more information, visit laopera.org. This is Behind the Curtain at LA Opera. I'm your host, Brian Lauritsen. Yeah.